Hey everyone, I'm Dominique. And I'm Heidi. Welcome to Morgrats. We're glad you decided to waste some time with us. We love podcasts and when we come across a really good one, especially a newer one, we want to let everyone know about it. Don't Blame the Mom is a true crime podcast hosted with Hannah and Kate and trust me, you'll fall in love with them. They are very thorough and give a lot of information in their episodes. They even covered one serial killer we had never heard of. (laughs) And that's saying something. Yes, it is. Besides having a great podcast, they're nice people. They were the first podcast to reach out to us, and it was really encouraging. So give them a listen and check out their Instagram. Don't blame the mom. Well, before we start, we want to remind you that we are talking about death. If you are easily offended by rude humor and foul language or are particularly sensitive to discussions about death, you may want to pass on this podcast. We are wildly inappropriate at times, but that comes directly from growing up in a funeral home. The way we insulate ourselves is by humor, and for us, it's a lot better to laugh even when you feel like crying. All right, we're going to give you a little extra warning here because this episode is going to be disgusting, maybe a little graphic, but possibly educational. We are going to talk about human decomposition. And our funeral home story will be about how marrying into a family of undertakers takes a very strong stomach. If this topic is interesting to you or makes you feel uncomfortable, please skip this episode. That said, welcome to episode nine, What's that smell? Heidi, have you ever been driving down the road, seen some roadkill, and got a whiff of something awful? Yes, and since we live in the country, there's a lot of wildlife, so I see and smell a ton of it. So you know what the smell of death is. Duh, I grew up in a funeral home, remember? (laughs) But roadkill and human decomp are two totally different things. Right, I mean, they're similar, but there is nothing that can compare to human decomp smell. Yes. And, unluckily for us, we know all too well what that smells like. Yes. The first time I smelled it, it was when we had to ride in the car after Dad had to pick up a body that was already decomposing. So, you guys should know that our company cars and personal cars were interchangeable. Well, except the hearse. Well, unless it was prom. (laughs) (laughs) Remember, it's a small town. It's not like we had a fleet of vehicles. Also, remember, our house and the funeral home are connected, so if there was a real stinker, sometimes the smell would permeate into the house. It was so gross. Well, whenever Derek would come home from a really bad death call, and he would would have to strip outside because the smell would be on his clothes, and those clothes would not be allowed in the house until they aired out. I am so glad I didn't go into the family business. (laughs) I do not think I could stand it. Sometimes when we're driving down the road and we smell like roadkill, Derek goes, Smells like money. (laughs) (laughs) Well, dead things stink, but why? And what happens to our bodies if left to rot? Well, it's the question on everyone's minds. Since we grew up in a funeral home, we know what decomposing bodies look like and smell like. But we're like any other person when it comes to knowing why and how. I mean, we're not doctors or scientists. Unless we stayed at a Holiday Inn Express last night. But you know what? When I searched this, the top sites that came up were cleanup companies like Aftermath and BioClean. They had like really detailed information, medical information about decomposing bodies. I didn't expect to find that. Yeah, interesting. Mm-hmm. 
Well, decomposition begins right after we die. Of course, we won't look any different, but when the blood stops flowing and we no longer have oxygen in us, our cells break down and bacteria invades. Scientists have divided decomposition into five stages, fresh, bloat or autolysis, active decay or putrefaction, which I always thought was putrefaction. Well, you got edumacated. I sure did. <laughs> Advanced decay and skeletonization. The fresh or initial stage occurs within the first 24 to 72 hours. There are very little outward changes to the body during this time. Blood will pool at the lowest levels of the body. It is, and this is called lividity. So if a person dies while laying on their side, one side of their face would become darker than the other where all the blood pools? Yes, that's that's true. I, I found our grandmother after she died and she died face down and her face was purple. Oh, poor Graham. I miss her. I miss her too. Well, rigor mortis, which is a stiffening of the muscles, sets in. Rigor mortis Wait, is... Wait, can we back up just for a second? Uh-huh. I mean, so, <laughs> side note, clearly you know we grew up in a funeral home. Mm -hmm. I mean, we just casually talked about you finding our grandmother. So, that's, oh, yeah. you know, you found grandma dead and you had to go about your... Daily Business. Life. Yep. I mean, you have to grieve too, but... Yeah. That, that's Graham we're talking about. I know. It was horrible. Yeah. It was. It was. See, it was, we are human. A little bit. <laughs> yeah. Um, rigor mortis, which is a stiffening of the muscles, sets in. Rigor mortis is caused by chemical changes in the muscle fibers and can set in two to three hours after death and last for 50 hours. Of course, this information is probably taken from many case studies and every body is different. So these timelines might seem drastic. We've had people who died at home and the families want to keep them there for several hours, even overnight. And when we come to get them, rigor still hasn't set in. One interesting thing about rigor mortis is that it comes like a wave. Like say if it starts in the feet, then works its way up through the head, it will go away the same way it came. So they eventually soften? Yeah, 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 they do. No, I, did not. I actually did not know that. Mm -hmm. So bacteria that require oxygen will die, then the anaerobic bacteria, or that is the bacteria that does not require oxygen, will flourish. This is the time insects may also start to lay eggs on the body. Oh God. Yeah. Well, this is the stage when most dead people come to the funeral home and they still look normal. You mean you wouldn't know they're already decomposing? That's right, that's right. Hey, what do you call a leper in a hot tub? <laughs> what? Stew. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to stage two. Stage two is bloat or autolysis, and it happens anywhere from four to 10 days after death. So all these anaerobic bacteria are having a rave in the intestinal tract. They produce really stinky gases, which bloat the in internal organs. The gases build up and can make a dead body look like a balloon animal, you know, kind of all puffy and stiff. The skin starts to turn a greenish, you know, during this stage, this is when the skin starts, starts to model and turn green. Pretty soon the organs and skin can't contain the gases and things start to rupture. This releases body fluid into the areas outside of the body. And it's pretty much like ringing a dinner bell for scavengers. <laughs> so this is, I'm guessing is the stage when you know that your neighbor isn't being antisocial, they're actually dead? Yes, that is correct. In fact, there have been a lot of bodies that come to the funeral home like this. But usually it's a situation, as you just mentioned, there will be a person who doesn't have many friends or family, so there's no one checking up on them. Sometimes a person will 
get lost hiking or they will go away by themselves to end their own lives. So it takes a while to find them. And this is when, this is the stage when the coroner or undertaker will pull out the quote unquote disaster pouch, which is a heavy duty body bag that is supposed to keep everything contained. And people really stink at this stage. If you've ever left raw hamburger in the sun for a week and caught a whiff of that rotten smell, you've kind of got an idea of what it smells like. It's really bad. Who leaves hamburger in the sun for a well, week? Haven't you ever gone camping and think you're going to clean that cooler later? Jeez. Oh, <laughs> I'm guilty of that. Next, we have active decay or putrefaction, which occurs anywhere from 10 to 25 days after death. This is the stage where the insects and maggots feed on the body and the skin blackens. Most of the liquid is gone at this point, but the stench remains very strong because there's still some tissue left. Besides, the corpse is lying in a puddle of fluid and it stinks even if it's dry. The body will need to be identified by something other than its appearance, like by DNA, dental records, or other identifying features like medical implants, serial numbers, jewelry, etc. A few cases have come to the funeral home in this stage of decomposition, but they don't stay long because they usually go straight to the medical examiner's office for autopsy. An autopsy is needed because the person needs to be identified and a cause of death needs to be confirmed. Right, right. Also at this stage, it can be very hard to tell what a person died from unless you know, there's evidence at the scene that tells the story. Like if there's an obvious head wound and there's a gun near the body, or if the body is found hanging in a tree. Can you imagine going for a stroll in the woods and coming across a site like that? Well, it happens a lot. Yikes. Yeah. Well, advanced decay comes next. That sounded pretty advanced to me already. <laughs> but we're only on stage four. <laughs> advanced decay happens when around 25 to 50 days after death. Insects and maggots finish breaking down all the remaining soft and connective tissues inside the body, and then their activity dies down. Probably because they're full. <laughs> <laughs> so <gross>. <laughs> <laughs> Bones are visible and may separate because there's nothing holding them together. Skeletonization is the last stage of decomposition. This is exactly what it sounds like. The body is a skeleton. Generally, this happens around day 50 bones, teeth, and maybe some dried skin remain. Only a few occasions have we had ever had a skeleton in the funeral home. Again, they go directly to the medical examiner's office. Of course, all this is averaged and generalized. If a person dies in the snowy mountains, their body will decay differently than someone who dies in the desert. There are lots of variables. Do you wanna know some other interesting things that happen when you die? Oh yeah, you're just wetting my appetite. <laughs> well, you fart. <laughs> You even groan and moan. This is caused by trapped air in the body trying to make its way out and it escapes any way it can. Also, bacteria builds up in the body which creates gas. Have you ever heard a dead body groan and moan? No, but one time when Derek and I were in the prep room, he was getting this sweet little old lady dressed and I was kind of just hanging by waiting to do her hair. Well, he moved her to get an arm into her sleeve and she ripped the loudest fart. Oh, <laughs> God. We were both shocked because it was a massive fart. <laughs> And she looked like the type of person who only let out little toots. <laughs> <laughs> well, a lot of times dead bodies will poop too. Oh my God. <laughs> if the bowels are full, then everything relaxes. There's nothing stopping that fudge factory. <laughs> <laughs> Another interesting thing is your skin 
might lose its wrinkles. And this is because the muscles relax and all the tension leaves your body. Oh, you know what? I remember mom saying this about grandpa when she was with him when he died. She said it almost looked like a youthful glow came over him. And she also said that was comforting for her to witness the struggle disappear and see him at peace. Yeah. So yeah. that's yeah. interesting. That's, well, it's not uncommon for people to twitch or move a little after death. Again, this is because of the chemical changes in the muscles. That would be extremely unsettling. Yes, it would. I've never seen that either. Hey, is it true that your hair and nails keep growing after you die? No. When you die, everything dies, so nothing continues to grow. The reason people think this happens is because as the body dehydrates, it has shrinkage. <laughs> Favorite word. <laughs> And this results in the scalp and nail beds getting tighter, making the hair and nails seem longer. Oh, well, how does it feel to be a Mythbuster? Uh, hmm. Smart. So that's about it for this topic. I am getting hungry now. <laughs> hey, Dominique. What? Did you know when Mozart died, you could hear his music playing backwards at his grave? Yeah, he really, he was decomposing. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez. Well, we got our information from LiveScience.com, BiologyDictionary.net, Education.SeattlePI.com, TheHealthy.com. Anyway, um, are you ready for our... Oh, no, I had another question to ask you. What? What do you want to happen to your body when you die? Oh, cremated. Definitely do not bury me. Because you don't want to be in the ground. No, I am claustrophobic. Gonna... I know you're not going to know. You're not going to know. You're not going to. I, no way. Absolutely. 100% cremate me. How about you? Well, I really don't care. You've always been the easygoing one. <laughs> I have to have everything planned out precisely. And you're like, yeah, whatever. I'm not going to care. I want my family to do whatever they have to do. I, I, if I, if I had my preference. You I'd do. Be... It's called prearrangement. <laughs> But my kids might not like this. I would be put straight in the ground, naked, right in the dirt in the ground, go back to worm poop. Well, okay. I don't want to be embalmed. I know what happens, Ooh. which we're going to do an episode on. That embalming. sounds like a different yeah. episode altogether. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Embalming. Yeah. Anyway. Well, for the no. record, well, kids, you... I know you're listening. I want to be cremated. Okay. Kids, I don't really do whatever. I don't care. <laughs> Send me to science. I don't care. I really don't. <laughs> All right. Well, are you ready to get into our funeral home story? You know I am. Okay. Don stared at his reflection and took a deep breath, trying to get on top of the queasiness before it had a chance to snag a foothold. The sick feeling hadn't grabbed his gut yet, but it would come. He totally expected to vomit today. He didn't look forward to it, of course, but it was Thanksgiving, and for him... Upchucking was as much a part of this day as turkey and pumpkin pie. It's not that he overindulged. Don wasn't one to gorge himself to the point of tossing his cookies. The source of his queasiness had nothing to do with food and everything to do with his in-laws. Oh, he loved them, adored them even. Every last member of his wife's family was like his own. He considered his father-in-law to be one of his best friends and he particularly loved his sister-in-law, Dominique, who was a comedic genius and wonderful conversationalist. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> okay. 
Don and Heidi had been married for decades, had a solid and loving marriage filled with children and a growing number of grandchildren. Her family had become a part of his own history by now. It's not like his in-laws were people he dreaded spending time with. On the contrary, Don enjoyed the time he spent with them. The problem came at mealtime, every mealtime, when they would talk about work. It would be one thing if they were a family of massage therapists and talked about knotted muscles and new techniques, or if they were meteorologists and talked about the weather. But they were a family of undertakers, and dinner time was full of discussions of viscera and accidents and death. For the few, first few years of their marriage, Don had politely reminded everyone of his delicate stomach, and could they please refrain from talking shop while at the dinner table? Though his in-laws were sensitive to his needs, Don's pleas fell on deaf ears. The undertakers simply couldn't help themselves. So he straightened his spine and headed to the car where, for the duration of the short drive, he would chant inwardly, I will not barf at the table. I will not barf at the table until he and his wife arrived at her parents' house. When Don and Heidi entered the home, it was clear the festivities were in full swing. The early morning gathering of old friends who came every year for a traditional pre-meal alcoholic binge was just beginning to dissipate. When Don first married into the family, these old friends had been vibrant and energetic, but time left its ugly mark in the way of wrinkles and stiff joints. Senses of humor, however, were still as sharp as ever, and the tolerance for alcohol consumption seemed to grow each year. The house was filled with delicious aromas and the din which always accompanies large families. Women bustled in the kitchen, children ran underfoot and screeched, and men made sure the television was positioned just right for the all-important football games. Thank God for sports. If needed, Don could always steer conversation that way. He'd done it many times before. In fact, he'd done it so many times, his mere mention of sports at the dinner table could be translated to, if you don't stop talking about work, I'm going to blow chunks. <laughs> Don caught up with the family he hadn't seen in a while, but between hugs and pleasantries, that little voice spoke in his head, I will not barf at the table. I will not barf at the table. His mother-in-law yelled above the noise, silencing everyone but the youngest children who didn't know the routine. Every year, she proclaimed her gratefulness for her family, mimosas leaking from her eyes. Then she would act like the tears had caught her off guard and shoo everyone to the kitchen to dish up. The family was ginormous, and it was decided long ago that setting the food on the table just wasn't practical. The most efficient way to feed this crowd was to set up an assembly line with a definite direction around the kitchen island. Don found a place in the queue and waited his turn. I will not barf at the table. I will not barf at the table. Once through the line, Don took his usual spot between his wife and father-in-law and placed the fall-colored cloth napkin on his lap. He marveled at the deceitful perfection. To someone who didn't know better, the well-dressed people and beautiful table setting looked straight out of a Norman Rockwell painting. But Don did know better. He knew so much better. He recalled Thanksgiving dinners from his younger years where you were expected to sit up straight, use the correct fork, and speak softly so as not to ruin the ambiance. At those dinners, no one compared the gravy to diarrhea or talked about what brains looked like out of one's skull. Back then, he was not in a family of undertakers. 
Don took in a deep breath, resigning himself to the fact that, inevitably, after everyone complimented everyone else about how good the food tasted, conversation would turn. It began with his wife's brother asking for advice. I've got this case and the lady is severely jaundiced. I used plastopaque and it pinked her up a bit, but she still looks yellow. What should I do? Don's father-in-law, the undertaker with the most experience, loaded his mouth with turkey, chewed, then swallowed. He wiped his mouth with his napkin and answered, If you weren't able to get good results through embalming, you'll have to resort to makeup. Don's other brother-in-law, the undertaker with least experience, chimed in. I had one of those last month. Same thing. Couldn't get the color I wanted with chemicals, so I had to use makeup. Dermablend works great. Or bare minerals. His brother's wife scooped mashed potatoes. Is that a new product? I'm not familiar with those cosmetics. They aren't in trade catalogs, Don's sister-in-law said. They're for live people. You can get them at Ulta. Don felt a tingle in the pit of his stomach, layered between a dinner roll and Waldorf salad. He gripped his fork. His mother-in-law noticed, guys, Don's got a sensitive stomach. They all apologized, and the only sound, aside from the noise coming from the kids' table, was utensils scraping on china. Though grateful for the effort, Don had been in this situation before and knew it wouldn't last. The group talked about the kids and grandkids, their sports schedules, upcoming dance recitals, school activities, and all the other stuff they gravitated to when trying not to talk about their work. But the tingle in Don's stomach had been set in motion, and he knew it wouldn't take much to flare it up again. The phone rang, and since undertaking is a 24-7 job, Don's sister-in-law jumped to answer it. Everyone at the table collectively groaned, anticipating one of them would have to leave for work. After a moment, Don's sister-in-law returned to the table and resumed eating. What was that? The father-in-law asked. Just someone wanting to pick up cremated remains. I told them we were closed today. Don's brother-in-law sighed. Good. I'm glad it's not a death call. I don't want to go. I don't feel like working today. Hey, said the father-in-law. Did anyone hear about our John Doe? The mother-in-law spoke up between bites of stuffing and glazed carrots. The coroner is still working on finding next of kin. Don's father-in-law gruffed. I hope they find someone soon. He was rotting when I picked him up. I really don't want to hold on to him for 90 days. Don squeezed his eyes shut. How about them huskies? Everyone at the table straightened and apologized for bringing up work yet again. Conversation turned to college football, igniting the in-house rivalry between the University of Washington Huskies and the Washington State University Cougars. Screw their apologies, Don thought. The tingling morphed into a hot, pulsing spark crawling up from his stomach and into his chest. He tried to take another bite of dark meat, but suddenly the food felt like moist sawdust in his mouth. He chewed slowly, eyes on his plate. He dared not look at the jellied cranberry sauce, which shared a compartmented dish with the fresh cranberries. Last year, someone compared the sauces to intact and splattered brains. The recollection made Don's stomach lurch. I will not barf at the table. I will not barf at the table. Yeah, I hope it won't take 90 days, the undertaker with the least experience said. The cooler is already starting to stink. The hot spark in Don's chest evolved into a mass of molten lava, now clawing its way toward his throat. The mother-in-law asked, if you put someone else in there, will the stink transfer to them? I will not barf at the table. I will not barf at the table. 
The father-in-law laid down his fork. Oh yeah, that smell clings to everything. Don put his hands in his lap and bowed his head. His wife's brother said, well, just hope you don't have to put anyone else in there. If you do, put them on the top shelf so nothing leaks on them. How about them huskies? Don's voice came out thin and cracked at the question. Oh, geez, Don, said his mother-in-law. We're so sorry. Everyone, don't talk about work. Don's getting sick. Don inhaled through his nose and exhaled out his mouth five times. His wife handed him a glass of water and patted his back. The family of undertakers behaved themselves for the remainder of Thanksgiving dinner, but that lava ball congealed in Don's throat and smoldered. For dessert, most of the crowd had moved to the living room to watch football. The Cowboys trailed the Chargers by three at halftime. Though the ball of flame still burned in Don's throat, he couldn't pass up the sour cream apple pie his sister-in-law made. Her desserts were fabulous, way better than his wife's signature cheesecake. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> Hard pause. <laughs> no, your cheesecake's delicious. Thanks. He went to the kitchen and scooped a slice of pie onto his plate, then decided to sit at the table in the dining room rather than join the horde watching the game. Even though Don could still hear them and see them, at least if the undertakers started talking shop again, it was possible he wouldn't be able to make out the words over the screaming of the children or the roar of the TV. Optimistically, he stabbed some pie and went in for a bite. One brother-in-law plopped onto the couch with a slice of pumpkin pie. That new medical examiner is a butcher, he said to the other brother-in-law. I will not barf at the table. I will not barf at the table. The father-in-law spoke up. You've noticed that too? The other brother-in-law said, I'm going to talk to him about it. It took me twice as many sutures on my last autopsy repair. He then raised his hip and let out a thunderous fart. Smells like turkey, laughed the father-in-law. The hot pulsing ball in Don's throat exploded and he jumped from his chair and bounded to the bathroom. He didn't even have time to close the door. All the delicious food from the feast came up and splashed into the toilet. Even when his stomach had emptied, his dry heaving echoed off the walls. Don heard the other men chuckling in the living room. He made it longer than last year, laughed his father-in-law. A new record, added a brother-in-law. The other brother-in-law commented, barfing is so gross. Don cringed at the irony and turned on the faucet to rinse his mouth. As he dried his face, Don stared at his reflection and plotted his revenge. It wouldn't change anything. It certainly wouldn't change them. But oh, how sweet next year's Thanksgiving dinner is going to be. I will barf at the table. I will barf at the table. <laughs> and spot on spot on for don yep oh, oh my God. that poor man I he know. has the weakest stomach well though. we're pretty gross and well we are very very disgusting but it's just normal talk for us i know it's but... normal talk for us but actually yeah come over to dinner sometime you'll find that <laughs> it, yeah it, we're disgusting but we never realized how disgusting until, until we had an outsider come in and Barf be, at so the table. Sen- be so sensitive. <laughs> be so sensitive. Jeez. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. Thanks, you guys, for listening. We really appreciate it. Thanks, you guys, for listening. We really appreciate it. I didn't say it last time. What? Oh, so you had to say it twice to, to, say even, it twice things to even things out. Because yeah. you have that one disorder. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, we really appreciate it. Remember. Be kind. Any day above ground is a good one.
And finally, keep, keep on breathing. breathing.